Hello everybody, and welcome to episode two of the I've Never podcast, with me, Nilly, and Ben Level Up Lovell. Hello! So, uh, we are doing this podcast to basically make it so that I watch films and Ben plays more games. Yep. Um, so, as we said, we were going to go for a full Stephen King episode, but um, <laughs> then I watched The Shining, and uh, this episode is basically now just going to be about The Shining, <laughs> because we found so much, not just about the film and how much you know, I did actually really enjoy watching it, but also just everything around the film. And Ben's found some crazy theories that um, they watched, yeah. like, watched a documentary about. Oh dear God. But we will get to get to that uh, particular thing as well. So that was Room 237, I think you yep. ended up watching. Yeah, that was uh, two hours of... Uh... Interesting. But anyway, the film, you said you liked yes. it. So, yes. So you finally, finally watched, watched it. it. Finally watched it. So, The Shining, one of the archetypal horror films. Funnily enough, wasn't very well received when it first came out. No, and critics hated it. Yeah. Stephen King still to this day hates it. Yeah, it also was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award. Yep. Which was the first, basically for the worst film of the year. So it's okay, there is hope for Catwoman yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, along with Shelley Duvall, who was also given that Golden Rose Presby as well. I don't think she actually won it, but she was nominated for it yeah, as well. For being literally tortured. Yeah. So oh, we'll, get to, we'll get into that. But the film itself, the score of that film, because you don't actually hear much of it come through, a lot of it, a lot of the time. So it, most of it's kind of in the beginning or any time that the character Jack is in the film. But before we get onto that, let's talk about the plot of The Shining. Yeah, so obviously it's fresh in your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what you thought of uh, the story, Jack and little Danny. So I've never read the book, but I know that it doesn't really follow the book. I know that the book is meant to be about an alcoholic writer who goes away to yeah. a hotel and then ends up going insane, basically. But this one is more... It seems to be very, very similar, but just isn't written in the way that Stephen King originally wrote it. So what happens is there's a period over the winter in the Overlook Hotel where they need a caretaker or janitor to be able to look after the place and make sure that it doesn't freeze over. So they hire Jack Torrance, the main character, who Mm -hmm. takes the entire family with them, uh, which is Wendy and Danny, their little son. As they're going there... They, they kind of notice some weird well, weird things going on with Danny anyway, uh, the little kid, because he has a little friend that he speaks to, which he uses his finger to to basically show that that's I happening. love the gesture. Yeah, and I, I get some sort of animation on there for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when they get there, um, Scatman Crothers, uh, when I first saw his name in the credits, not knowing <laughs> who he was, I was like very quickly thrown out of what was going on, because I had to go and we- check who Scatman Crothers was. Um, but <laughs> I'll get to Scatman's brothers it was because unfortunately he did pass away as well not long after filming they find him he's the head chef at Dick Halloran and he's seems to have psychic powers which he calls The Shining yeah. and he explains that he had this psychic power with his mother that they could speak using the minds and Danny seems to have this power as well before they get to the hotel, they're all told about something that happens with the old janitor who basically went insane, murdered his family, chopped them up into bits. 
And basically, it's kind of playing out to us, even from the start, that this is probably what's going to happen to the family. A lot of foreshadowing. A lot of foreshadowing all throughout the start of the film. And then, yeah, basically, ghosts slowly drive Jack insane. And then he attempts to murder his family, only to end up dying in the frost. Those cheerful films that, you know, just get us through the winter. (laughs) It's... As a story, it's very, very simple. Yep. The way that it's filmed is brilliant. Mm. The cinematography and The Shining is just... It's a masterclass. I can't even think just the the level of detail that Kubrick went through, because it is a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah. It was known for his very, very particular nature, I'll put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. He, He was quite synonymous with his way of doing things, and I'll be honest with you, I think it's quite obvious that if he were doing films nowadays, they wouldn't get made. No. Uh, it would not be in a very different culture than we're in now. I've got to say, as much as I'd love to shine in, though, I'm going to say an awkward thing, but I don't think it's my favourite film he's ever done. Kubrick? Yeah. What's your favourite film? Kubrick? Clockwork so, Orange. I have to agree. Yeah. Because I have seen Clockwork Orange. Oh, thank God. I have seen Clockwork I was waiting for you to say you hadn't seen it, and I was going to get angry. I was tensing. No, I have <laughs> seen Clockwork Orange, and I have to agree that it, that it is a masterpiece of film. Yeah. Um, because with I, a very, very violent nature. Yeah, I think that it. as much as it doesn't stick to the story too much, as much as Stephen King would have liked it to, I think that with Clockwork Orange, you could tell that he had his freedom from start to finish. Yeah. But now Kubrick is one of those very... Whenever you see one of his films, it gives you a lot to think about, and you need to watch it more than once to fully appreciate it. Definitely. So, with The Shining, there's very, very interesting things that kind of came through. It's very unsettling music, and um, mm. they kind of used a method of how to pluck violins to make sure that every single time the music was coming on, it was an unsettling moment. But yeah. then, throughout the rest of the film, it's just silence. And the only thing that you can hear is just the, the noises of the people that are there moving around, so just the family. Which brings about this really kind of eerie just knowledge that there's nobody else in this hotel. Yeah, I think it, it plays on your subconscious as well, because when you watch a film, doesn't matter how... I mean, it's not so much now as much as well, but like films were, back in the past, particularly in this era, defined by their music. Yeah. I mean, there was the soundtracks that stick with you for years, and you're hearing like, oh, that's the Star Wars famous Jaws... That's Jurassic Park, you know, the list goes on. Um, But so in your subconscious, you're expecting the music. I think you're expecting those overtones of sound. And to play on silence and the volume and the value of silence, I think is huge. And very underused nowadays. In terms of sound engineering, it's absolutely great. There's only one film that I can think of recently that can be... That's comparative, and that's Joker. I knew you were saying because that. Joker I knew you has that sound. I mean, we wouldn't have known yeah. because when we went to go and see it in the cinema, there was like a hand dryer playing the entire time. But yeah, we, we had to. Have I saw second, it again. So it's had to have a second viewing of it <laughs> just to make sure. But yeah, the the silence in the Joker as well, which I know we've both seen, but I'm, we're going to do an episode on. Because we have got to do an yeah. episode on Joker. I am so far with that. Um, yeah, so if you're listening and you've not seen Joker, please tell us so we can yell at you and then we'll feel like we've completed the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll get somebody in. We'll get a guest in just for that episode. If I haven't seen it, we'll, we'll yell get... at them, make them see it, and then realise why they should have seen it. Yeah. Um, so, I hope. <laughs> the, one of the scenes that really comes to mind that plays with sound really, really well is um, the scene just before the infamous twin scene. Mm-hmm. With Danny just rolling around the hotel 
just on his trike. Yep. And all you can hear is just the sound, the really loud sound of his plastic wheels going across it, and then it just muting every single time that they go onto a carpet. And if it was a modern film, you'd find something just weird and supernatural happening in the background every single time that happens. A bit CGI. So, a bit CGI, but just because it's the it's the eighties and it wasn't there, it's just so pure. You kind of get it just because some, for some reason that just horrifies me more. Yeah, I, I think the the thing is it's it's called the um, uncanny valley. Like yeah. with films, is with CGI is a part of your brain unless the CGI is phenomenal. Um, like Logan's a really good example of when you just can't tell what CGI and what isn't um, your brain says that's not real and it disconnects but when you see something that's genuinely unnerving or scary and it's uh, done with realistic as possible without the computer innovations on it it plays on you all because you be- you're immersed you believe it's real and without the sounds to remind you there's a soundtrack to it that plays more as well and I think it's a very well-structured and very intelligent art form that is lost, I think, in modern films, to be honest. Yeah, because you, when you're a filmmaker today and you've got such a big budget to be able to play with, you kind of think, well, I want to make the visuals as spectacular as possible. Yeah. But Production it, companies expect it, I think, as well. Yeah, but you don't really think, because everything can be green-screened in, there's not a lot of films these days that will use a physical set. No. It will literally just be an actor in a green room. Um, trying to basically act around them, which, to be honest with you, for me, makes some of the actors that we've got today completely phenomenal, because they have to work around just yeah. this thing. But you, you can just tell that you've got some award-winning act, winning acting happening in the, this film as well, in The Shining. And the reason why is how many takes it took to do every single Yeah, thing. absolutely. I mean, um, I think they said for... The scene on the stairs, um, when she's just Wendy's cat's just screaming. They've had her screaming and crying in I think it was a hundred and forty seven takes. Hundred and twenty seven. Hundred and twenty seven. I got two of the numbers right. But and yeah. That actually holds the record for the still holds the record against yeah. the record for the most takes of a film. Yeah. Uh, that has spoken word on it. And the way that, um, and the thing is, is what adds to it more is the way that uh, Shelley Duvall, isn't it? Yeah. She was treated by Kubrick because he briefed the entire cast to never sympathise with her, never understand, never comfort her, never console her. Um, and to the point where she physically ran out of tears, so had to keep bottles of water on her so she was hydrated enough to cry. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's just torture. Yeah. Like, pure psychological torture. I mean, Scatman Crothers broke down and cried uh, because... Do you know the scene where literally all that happens is there is a camera just pointed at Scatman Crothers' face and it just zooms in very, very slowly. And yeah, there's just a high-pitched tone in the background. Yeah. Um, so they just... They filmed that more than 60 times. Yeah. And he was 70 years old at the time, and he just couldn't handle what was going on. So, And Jack Nicholson actually said in an interview that he swore he would never work with Kubrick again after that. Uh, yeah. Nicholson was actually married at the time to Angelica Houston. Yes. Um, and Angelica actually said that um, Nicholson would come home, not say a word after filming not say anything to them, walk straight up to the bed, collapse and immediately fall asleep. Yeah, and then next day he was off before he was really awake anyway. Yeah, yeah no, I, I remember reading about that, and it's 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 just incredible. Like, the psychological trauma they had to go through was just... 
I mean, there's sacrifices for art, and then there's things that got done in that making of that film. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's random things that kind of you got with... <laughs> one of the most random things that Kubrick did to basically put the, everybody in the right frame of mind, he made people watch horror films just before. Yeah, it was like The Exorcist, over over wasn't again. it? The Exorcist, everything. He tried to put them in the right frame of mind. They He basically tortured the crew just so that they could look like they were ragged, basically. <laughs> There's a scene where literally all that's happening is Jack Nicholson is just staring off into the distance. Yep. And he looks completely and totally just haggard. And uh, that's not makeup. Like, no. they, like Kubrick just made sure that he was haggard, and also at the same time, to get to get to Jack Nicholson really in kind of the mood that they were looking for—the irritable, angry mood—he forced Jack Nicholson to eat cheese sandwiches for two weeks straight. <laughs> Jack Nicholson hates cheese sandwiches. Well, Jack Nicholson's quite a method actor as well, isn't he? Oh, definitely. So that it's kind of the dream or nightmare combination of a director that's happy to push that. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, you see, there's been method actors, there's so many of them, like, um, I'm trying to, just trying to pick up the top of my head, you've got, like, uh, Heath Ledger was a good example, Ray Park is a very famous example, and then you others, and it's just, like, some actors don't know how to respond to it. Um, I mean, I remember seeing, and <laughs> not saying this was a good performance, but Jared Leto and Suicide Squad went full method actor to the point where Will Smith just wanted to punch him while they were having breakfast. So, like, a lot of people don't know how to work with it, but then when you've got someone that's like, ah, oh, I can work with this, and then take it too far, it says a lot. It's good. And there's that stubbornness, I think, that comes in as well, when they're of that calibre of who's going to break who. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a very cool scene that is kind of an extra that you won't see because it happens just before the door smashing scene. Mm. Uh, Here's Johnny. <laughs> I'm going to put it up on screen now because I've actually found the scene a bit. Oh, wow, um, look at that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but basically all it is is it's Jack Nicholson getting hyped up just before that scene. Oh, I've, and, yeah. Yeah, and all you can see is just him jumping around with the axe, yeah. like, almost like slamming it I've into the seen bed, that, like yeah. all of the crew trying to get out of this way because it's just swinging an axe around. I've got some interesting <laughs> facts about that scene as well. Uh, Here's Johnny was improvised. Yep. Jack Nicholson just decided to do it and just throw it in. That was great. And another one is, you know, talking about uh, Jack Nicholson being a method actor. Mm. He was a volunteer fireman before Yeah, this. that's how he... Cause didn't he have... I remember hearing it. Wasn't it something like there was a stunt door? But yes. he was so good with the axe that they had to then just build a more reinforced door because he was just taking it yeah, down so too quickly. They, they decided that they were going to use prop doors. Yeah. Um, and he was basically just going straight through them too quickly. So they had to go and buy real doors. <laughs> Like, real fake doors. They had to go and get real fake doors. Oh my god. So, it took um, over 60 doors, is what is what the, the legend is that's been said in interview. Don't know whether that was true, but over 60 doors, Jack Nicholson put himself through. Some say the firewood's still there. <laughs> oh, well, even more interesting about fire, I've got another oh right, Just to go off of that, actually, um, I don't know if you ever knew this, but the studio that they actually filmed all the interior scenes in yeah and the studio burnt down and the reason why it burnt down was because of all of the daylight lamps that they were using in the shining mm -hmm. so many daylight that would be coming in through windows um, okay. and basically the entire place turned down so the, the set doesn't exist anymore which made things very very interesting because they then had to completely and totally rebuild it using the footage that they had from the shining for dr sleep oh. which is the new film which is meant to be a so uh, I'm speculating and I'm wondering, and I could be completely wrong here, but I'm wondering if they kept the set from Ready Player One. 
Very possible. Because that is a perfect remake. I remember reading up that they did completely and totally remake it, but yeah. I would have to check. Um, because the, the hotel's still there, um, yeah. of course, and the hotel with the... I believe that it's, it was actually the um, elevator that they did actually yes. film that was in there. Um, and there's so, no 237, it was 217 they filmed in. Yeah, two, no, 217 was the... It's the other way around. 217 was in the book. But basically, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, hotel yeah. that it was in uh, basically said, please don't film it in room 217, because we actually have a two, room 217, and we don't know whether this film's going to do any well, but we know that people are going to think 217's haunted, <laughs> so please don't film it in 217. Yeah. So they changed it to 237, which just ran, just though that's a completely small change, just affected the pop culture of the film yeah. completely and totally, and how many times you see 237 just come out through everything. It's like uh, Pixar's, uh, like, the, is it 113? They have appears everywhere yeah, as well, they, same they have calibre. And Pixar actually do have a, uh, a big obsession, complete obsession, with it. I, I will get into all of the different things that you find within other films, parodies and things like that, yeah. uh, as we go through. Interesting things that we've got. So I've gathered some interesting facts. Yes. Fun facts. I believe you've got some fun facts as well. Yes, so from the uh, documentary 237, I have some fun facts, some interesting opinions. And, and uh, a few theories. Yeah, oh dear God, do I. Conspiracy theories. Do I. So, um, Stephen King, as we know, didn't like The Shining. Yep. Uh, he approved of the screen screenplay for a miniseries. He does cameo in the film, Which though. He does cameo in the film, yes. He's cameos in the film. He's in the ballroom scene. I yes. believe it's the conductor. Uh, conductor or the barman? No, it's, it's the conductor. The conductor, conductor yeah. yeah. So, when they filmed this miniseries, which is basically four hours long, it's on Amazon Prime, you can go and watch it if you want to. They actually filmed that miniseries in the original hotel that Stephen King based The Shining off of. Okay. Which is the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. Right. And you can go there now, and you can basically stay in The Shining. The Shining, basically. <laughs> um, they say that the, they they actually say that the hotel's haunted, and this whole thing with the ballroom and people being in the ballroom yeah. and there. This all supposedly was told to Stephen King because he stayed there while he actually stayed there whilst he was out of season, yeah. and he stayed in room two one seven the entire time that he was there. Okay. Um, as a basically a retreat to get away to be able to write. Yeah. And that's when he had the inspiration to be able to write The Shining, and they actually have. On uh, channel forty-two of the TV. I mean, that is always the answer. The Shining on loop, so you can watch Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, not the one that the, the, <laughs> not the, the mini series, not the mini series that the film was based. <laughs> that was actually filmed in the hotel. The The Shining, the Kubrick, the big famous one on loop. I mean, that's quite smart actually, not to do the mini series because that would probably freak out if you're staying. Yes. Can you imagine booking? I mean, what kind of masochist would you be? I'm going to say room two one seven. I want to watch a mini series on loop on channel forty-two. Yeah. Hardcore. Why not? Uh, they Sold also now have a hedge maze. Yes. Because they didn't originally have a hedge maze. Um, and there wasn't actually meant to be a hedge maze in there at all. So the reason why there was a hedge maze in the film was because it was actually, you know, like uh, animal carving have hedges and things yeah. like that in, in the book. And basically they were the weeping angels, like from Doctor Who. Right, okay. So every time you turned around they would get closer to you and if they got close enough they would attack you. But basically because the budget that they had, because they only had 19 million to make it at the time, which I think would, with inflation, would be about 23 million in today's money. Um, yeah, about. They didn't have the technology in 1980 to be able to make that happen, especially with that budget. That's crazy. Um, what was another one then? So yeah, the, the film earned 47 million dollars. Yep. Which sounds like nothing, and in, in terms it's of about inflation, 250 percent profit. So. Yeah. Well, in terms of inflation, it's made 147 million. Yeah. Um, 
so it's doing no, it's very very well for itself. Um, so yeah, as I say, it's the Timberline Lodge. If you ever want to try and find the hotel, The Shining was actually filmed in. I yep. think they still have the carpets, yep. which are very very famous. Um, and everything else is in that soundstage in London. And as I say, burnt down. Uh, yep. That part of the studio burnt down, but uh, they rebuilt it. They made the ceilings higher, and then they filmed Raiders of the Lost Ark in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a turn, uh, a change of tone there, isn't it? Just a little bit. Definitely. So, have you got any? Yeah. Facts so, yourself? before I get onto some facts I found out through an interesting documentary, because that way it was something for me to watch as well and add into the conversation a bit, because I'd seen Shining a few years ago. I saw it with my dad as well, actually, not too long ago. But there was a cool fact that I found out that uh, little Danny. That played Danny. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was his first acting role. But for everything Kubrick did to everyone else, he did the opposite to Danny. He cherished and looked after that kid, right? To the point that Danny didn't know it was a horror film that he was in until 11 years later. He thought he was in a drama. The scene where uh, Shelley Duvall's carrying him away screaming, they use a dummy so that he doesn't know they're screaming and horror. He was like in his trailer or something. Yeah. And then only when he was older was he shown bits of the film and told, yeah, actually it was a horror film. It's one of the most iconic horror films of all time. Eleven years later, he watches it. Yeah. Like when he was in his mid-twenties. Yeah, and he said that, yeah, when he was there, he had no idea. Yeah, and Kubrick was lovely to him. He, he like, looked after him, made sure everyone was like talking to him, chatting to him. And it adds on to the theory, uh, which I did see there, that all along, it's Danny that's controlling everything that's happening. He's the one that's like possessed and actually a few of the things he does, talking and uh, the scene of him playing darts is referred to a lot um, as a what's going on there kind of thing. And there's always that kind of unknowing. But um, yeah, so some interesting things with the cinematography of the film. So um, a lot of people talk about whenever Kubrick is mentioned is what are the underlying Homes and reasons for what he films because there is nothing in a frame of a Kubrick film that's not there for a reason. That's his under, like that's his system. So I mean, it starts from people saying that it's his acknowledgement of the treating of na- Native Americans. There's um, him talking about the Holocaust is mentioned a lot. There's uh, people saying that he's coming out confessing that he was part of the uh, lunar landing faking and all that conspiracy. There's a lot of different talk, and a lot of it's opinion because Kubrick's not one of those he will ever give the game away. That's just how he what is. Um, so it's it's up to interpretation. I, I think the compare comparing uh, human nature to stuff like that's happened in the past with Native Americans and Holocaust, I can genuinely believe because Kubrick is not one shy away from the violence of human nature. Yeah, he, which is what the clockwork are. Yeah, is a great example. Yeah, exactly. So, I genuinely believe that. The lunar landing, uh, I could, I'm not going to touch well, that people one. People think that it's his confession. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why they think things like that, and don't know because I've not seen what, what you watch there, but I think that one of the main things that you got is just some of the things that he he's put into the film stylistically, like to be able to have it so that um, it looked like there was snowing. Yeah. Just 900 tons of salt mixed with crushed styrofoam. And when you look at the the scape of it, it looks like it's definitely an outdoor scape with all of that snow there, but it's not yeah. actually real. I think that people are thinking about, well, all of these techniques that he's using through this Where film, did he get it from? Yeah. Where did he get it from? Where does he understand? And looking at it, surely he can make a movie. And um, Danny was wearing an Apollo little jumper. Yeah. Yeah, with a little rocket on it. Um, but one thing I saw that I didn't know and I thought was really cool 
was you can watch the film in either direction. You can either watch it from start to finish or from finish to forward. And what someone actually did, they did a screening of the films overlapping. So it literally had, like, it was very clever how they did it. They basically did the backwards to forwards in the front, but uh, at a 50% opacity. So you could see through it to see the, the film in its correct order. And there's stuff like, for example, uh, when you see the camera pan out at the end of, spoiler, the picture, uh, where obviously uh, Jack Nicholson's character is. It, in the ballroom. In the ballroom. As it pans and gets to that moment, it perfectly lines up with Jack Nicholson just above it, uh, in the text of the credits, and his car perfectly in the frame. But what the other cool side of it is, is there's a lot of very cool cinematography moments. And Kubrick has said you can watch it backwards. But the other side of it is, is it then tells the story at the end. Or, I say the end, but when Chilla Duvall's been shown around the kitchens and told the story, it's actually her being told what's happened to her. And they're just on a cycle. Oh. Um, and the reason people believe that is something that Kubrick did that was really cool. Is If you actually try and map the tour she goes on, it doesn't work. Like, it's physically impossible for a building to be laid out how she's taken. Basically, she walks from one room into another in the hallway, and then it double. Uh, I'm, I'm directing my hands here, this is going really well for a, a microphone, but it doubles back and then she turns right again, where she couldn't, because then she'd be back in the hallway she was in before. Yeah, there was a big thing that people were saying, that all of the interior shots of uh, In The Shining, they just don't make sense. Yeah, and it's just completely on purpose. They're trying to make it so that the scale of the building just looks weird from the from the outside as well. So, for example, when um, you see Jack Torrance right at the start going for his job interview, mm. and there's a window in that office, there can't physically be a window in that office because that build that room is surrounded on all sides by corridors or other rooms. Mm. Um, so there's all sorts of just weird little things about the layout of the building where nothing kind of just makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's just to lead to that whole, this place is weird and it's haunted and there's something definitely wrong here and there doesn't seem to be any sort of escape from the building. Yeah, it's just just incredible. And yeah, I think even if, like, like me, I'm not a massive horror film fan, but The Shining is that film I think everyone should see. Just appreciate the style of it. Um... Stephen King hates it. Uh, he's what was he quote? He said he described it as a fancy car, but without the engine. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> literary burn. <laughs> um, well, Kubrick didn't even read the screenplay that no. Stephen King wrote. He basically he basically said that Kubrick said that he just didn't like Stephen King's writing, and then said that he was going to make a film for Stephen King. Um, <laughs> Funnily enough, can you imagine if Christopher Columbus said that about J.K. Rowling all those years later? I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, other cool things that kind of go throughout the film that you might not notice is that this colour red is in every single scene. So, you just got that weird flash of red throughout. Also, just because of that, so the MPAA, you know the people that deal with the, the Film Association in America, yeah, America, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, the BFCC here, isn't it? Yeah, BFCC's ours. So they don't allow blood to be shown on trailers of anybody that might have seen of all ages in the 80s. So, I was going to say, nowadays that's changed. Yeah. So, <laughs> Laughs in Deadpool. <laughs> Kubrick uh, just persuaded them all that the blood was rusty water and they just believed him. <laughs> <laughs> and they just got it straight on the TV. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's... That's incredible. <sighs> the, the film is just absolutely... It really is. Well, they had that problem with um, 
Psycho. With, yeah. uh, when they did a trailer for that because yes it was black and white but they had to be very careful on what they showed and what they didn't and yeah. it was very difficult yeah it's, it's a challenge that happened a lot and I don't know when it changed I want to say it was the late 80s early 90s they shifted that away but I, I would have to check that I'm not 100% sure yeah, we can check on that um, but as you were saying about Danny earlier as well, not knowing that he was in a horror. Yeah, bless him. Um, hey, bless I, him, he's older than me, but we ignore that. <laughs> well, he, he isn't in the film, so we'll just take it. Yeah, we go. <laughs> yeah, we're just time travellers just peering into the past, that's all it is. Just is that him. what movies are? Oh, gosh, Get I philosophical here. Ah, it's too late for that. <laughs> so, yeah, as you, know, as you say, Danny isn't... Um, Danny didn't know that he was in a horror, which actually meant that in, I think it's 2007 or something, and I'll make a link in the, in the description, but... Um, and, and hit that subscribe button across. where you find it. Yeah, yeah, do you. Please do, please do. <laughs> and hit that bell. Uh, I'll, um, I'll put a link in the description of a trailer that somebody made, which was basically the happy version of The Shining. Oh, is that like the horror Home Alone that was made? A little bit, yeah. I love those. Basically what it is, is it takes it all as a thing where Danny's looking for a dad. Um, and they go, <laughs> it's to this, they, they go to this hotel and uh, basically they just dubbed in. <sighs> they just dubbed in this one bit. Just to make it so that it all tied together. There's upbeat music. It's got all of like the the like the wacky bits. It's got the normal bits of the film. They just made this really nice happy trailer, and they've just put in halfway through it. I'm Universal Father. Oh god, <laughs> that's amazing. It, it's really really cool. It's in the description. Please do watch it because uh, yeah, it, I will check out after this. Um, and now, then I'm going to comment what I thought of it in yes, the comments below. Yes, definitely. I got this, so I've learned this YouTube. YouTube you've learned now. the YouTube. Yeah. You definitely learned the YouTube. From every YouTuber I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so, references and parodies. Yeah, so, the one big one that always brings up for everybody's mind, and you'll see it on the screen now, which is The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror 5. Uh, my number one spot, to be honest with you, for parodies that came, come out, came out of it, uh, which is where Homer takes his family to look after a hotel, Um that basically looks like, and he just looks like Jack Torrance in the film. Um, basically, well, that's when he goes teetotal by force. He isn't goes teetotal by force. He finds out there's no TV and no beer at the retreat, <laughs> yeah. so he writes all over the walls, "No TV and no beer make Homer go crazy." <laughs> which is, although how, that's a bit different to the way that Kubrick does it, I think that it probably would have been a bit more scary, scary for me if it was literally written across every single wall as yeah. well. I, I think that that, that scene. Normally, what Bart does. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's yeah, it's just a masterpiece of parody, and Ooh. it's not very long. But do watch it if you can. As I say, it's Treehouse of Horror Five. Um, just on this point, before just a quick segue, uh, which is my thing apparently, um, the typing of all work no play mm-hmm. was written in every language for the release. Yes, and it was written in different ways. As yeah, because well, Kubrick realised they wouldn't have the same impact in different languages yeah. if they look at that, even if they recorded re-recorded the audio. Have you so got it? I do actually have what each one was. Oh, it, it was all work and no play, much jacket all boy it was English. Yeah, um, in German it was don't put off till tomorrow. What you can do today. Uh, Spanish was although one will rise early, it won't dawn sooner. And in Italian, it was he who wakes up early meets a golden day. Um, yeah, so it's like all famous sayings of each language. Yeah, they, they kind of had it so that it was... Um, the, the reason why they put it the way that it was was they tried to get a kind of feel of the morning was coming. 
basically, mm. and he had something to do before that morning came. Because right. when when the final scene of the film is that he's frozen, and you can see, and that's the morning, and that's the end of it. Uh, similarly, and we're going on another segue here, away from the parody's point. Yep. Did you know that there was an alternative ending that has a screenplay but was never filmed? No. So what happened was there was an extra scene at the end after. Uh, the whole ballroom wait I think it was the ballroom scene or it may just not be not the photograph so it dissolves away from him being frozen and it's got Wendy in the in the hospital played by Shelley Duvall of course yeah yeah of course and a lieutenant a police comes up to her and tells her everything that you told us we couldn't find anything when we went to go and check so uh, but basically what they're basically saying was that um, did it happen? Did it not happen? Uh, what's oh, like um, Has he American Psycho kind is of it, thing. Is it? Was it ghosts? What's going on? And basically, um, Roger Ebert, you know, the very famous film critic, basically said that um, Kubrick, Kubrick was right, wise to remove that epilogue because it pulled the rug one too, one rug too many out from under the story. So I, I mentioned briefly, but have you seen American Psycho? I have seen. Okay, good. Because, spoiler, same thing happens there. Did he, didn't he, what was going on yeah. there? And I, I love that. I like the idea of coming away from a film with more questions and answers sometimes. It depends on the stylist choice of the film. But, like, a good example is Joker, as we were saying earlier, yeah. is what parts you saw were real and what wasn't. And I think I like those to an extent. If it's not a linear film, I enjoy having that extra element to it. And I don't think that doing it in The Shining would have played out too well because there was already too many questions. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah, um, it's very difficult to say. I think because where it's such an iconic film, the thought of changing it as much as Stephen King probably wants to, it, it I just don't think it can happen. No. Um, oh, interesting. There, there was one last bit that happens actually as well. At that point, it then pans down to Danny who's playing on the floor, and uh, the ball that rolls towards him in the hotel rolls to him at that point as well. Which basically also begs the question: Is it all Danny? Did, and did it follow them to? Um, it was Danny. It was always Danny. Uh, randomly, I've got another random segue. I, okay. I, I hate to do this to you. I'm so sorry. No, I, but last episode it was me doing it, so it's fine. The, um, there is a scene that is stolen from The Shining that is used in another film. There's quite a few of them in the an alternative ending. And when I say a scene, I mean that they took footage and reused it. Ooh. And well, it's not Batman. <laughs> there is an alternative ending to Blade Runner. There is a happy ending oh, to Blade Runner. Oh, I know that. Did they use the footage? I, knew, I know of it. I haven't seen so it. So it's got it so that you can see like it goes to the sun rising over the, over the hills and everything. Yeah. They reused the footage of the car travelling to the hotel because you could even see the yellow car at the bottom of it. Ah. So Blade Runner has, if you're watching the alternative version with a happy ending... Has a scene from it, yeah. The Shining in it. Damn. Oh, that actually makes me wonder now. This kind of links in with the thing of footage. Kill Bill Volume 2. Yes. I know random. Now you're throwing me back. I know <laughs> random here, but like my, my brain's just connected to the visuals. But there's the scene at the beginning, when the bri- and at the end, where the bride is driving along the hills to get to Bill's house. And I'm just wondering, like, if there was inspiration... I could be li- reaching here. You could But inspiration... Because I know what God. Quentin Tarantino's like. You're on the way. But, like, that kind of... He was inspired by the visual. Very possibly. Because if she's going to House 2 Kill Bill, that's her destination. That's the one path she was on. 
Yeah. I, I could be completely off no, there, but I, I get you with that. I completely agree that that's a very good point. And when we start getting through to our Tarantino episode, oh, I can't wait for which is definitely coming, because I think that with my Tarantino episode, there is a reason why I'm saying mice, because there's one film that I really want you to watch that I know you haven't watched. Um, which was that? Have you ever seen The Man with the Iron Fist? No. It is a film that Quentin Tarantino made and can just patched off off on. This is this bit going to cut to the end. It's fine. No, it won't. <laughs> um, Quentin Tarantino made about the blacksmith because you know how Quentin Tarantino writes his characters. Yeah, and it's all set in a very very weird um, Japan. Okay, uh, an ancient Japan where basically a slave from America has made his way to Japan in some way. Is his name Django? No, no. <laughs> this was a long time before Django. Uh, and basically, he becomes a blacksmith, and he starts um, making weapons for all the warring factions. And it's basically how all the warring factions interact. It was also one of the first films that the wrestler slash turned actor was in, who was also in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Dave Bautista. Yeah, yes, one of the I first re- games. Was, I didn't know that was a Tarantino film. Yes. It was one of the first films that he was in. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. Because um, Inglorious Bastards got added to Netflix yes. last week. Seen the film before, I had to watch it again the second it was added. Uh, literally, the day it came out, I was, on, I was watching it again. Um, I'm trying to think what else is on. Because uh, there's just so many good Tarantino. I'm, I'm a big fan of Tarantino. I, th- I mean, I think he's got his own issues that I think are developing more and more as his films go on. His own personal tastes, for another want of a word. Are appearing more and more on his films. It's getting me a bit uneasy, but I separate the person and the art. That's what I do. We'll we'll save this yeah. for our Tarantino episode. So going into the second um, book of podiatrist for that one, <laughs> the second parody that I enjoyed, which is called A Nightmare on FaceTime, yes. which was the South Park episode where Randy Marsh buys a blockbuster just, just before Halloween. <laughs> But then he goes insane waiting for customers to show up. Yep. So there's a few famous scenes that it's going to parody in there, which includes the scene where Randy is shot front-facing, shouting for Stan Lance walking through the aisles, like you see Jack Torrance walking yep. through the maze. There's also a ghost of the cashier's past, where basically it's exactly like the bar scene. He walks up and he asks the cashier that isn't there how the night's going. Uh, and also there's the Frozen scene right at the end, which yep. is a little bit different to the way that it plays out. <laughs> in, in Shining, where because you get um, Randy's wife, who I can never remember the Sheila. name. Sheila, Sheila, no, it's Brothos. No, oh Sharon, Sharon, yeah. Um, walk up, Timoneses, and then just say, "We're going to go get McDonald's. Do you want some?" No, I'm okay. <laughs> You're just going to stay here and stay frozen. I've yeah. just realised um, in the um, Marsh family, you have Shelley, Stan, and Sharon, and Randy. The reason why he's called Randy is because of the joke, because he's a Randy Marsh. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's the whole thing. Anyway. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, then in episode. a different series called Sons of Witches, Cartman um, it stares at Heidi unmoving and unblinking the same way that Jack stares yeah. at Wendy and Danny. So when he wants to break up with her, yeah. and he just he's stares just stares her down. He's just trying to figure out how to kill her. She's just, at that point, she's still a lovely person. Yeah. And... Then there's an episode called Splatty Tomatoes, which is basically when she's not a good person anymore, and it just uh, parodies a bunch of Stephen King's works yeah. as well. So you get it is parodied quite a lot through that as well. Yeah, all the things he's written are so iconic. Like everyone, I think, can name several of his books or oh, famous yeah. works uh, very easily. Um, 
But yeah, no, and we've already said we'll probably end up having to do a Stephen King episode for everything else at some oh, point. Yeah, because I thought Stephen King episode would be great, but I bet as soon as I watch the Shawshank Redemption, we're going to probably have a full episode on that as well. Because you know I still need to watch the Shawshank Redemption. I, I am well aware of your mistakes. So, the one last big thing. I mean, there's, there's a short one where I kind of wanted to talk about where there's things in games like Immortal Kombat and one of the new ones. Johnny Cage tears through somebody's chest and says, here's Johnny. Um, yeah, I watched all the fatalities and I was like, that's amazing. There, there's also a full IKEA advert where there's a kid called Danny recreating a loud tricycle scene going throughout to a uh, IKEA. Is that one of those band adverts? I think I've seen. I think it may have been banned. It was very, very good though. I actually <laughs> the um, Did it make you want to buy a cabinet? It made you. Me... <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a haunted cabinet. It's cabinet 237. <laughs> And talking of 237 and all the references that you get at 237. Yeah, we touched about this earlier, didn't we? Yeah, so Pixar. Uh, Pixar, there is a few directors in Pixar who are obsessed with The Shining, including the director of Toy Story 3, who I don't have the name of here. It was Lee uh, Unkrich, yeah. And Toy Story 3, I'm sorry, should have been the ending. Toy Story 3, is that the... Daycare, it's one. daycare one, and then four is the fairground one. So four's good. I, I I don't I didn't hate four, but the ending of three was more satisfactory for me. Yeah, I'll give you that. So <laughs> moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so back to horror. Yeah. So um, the the director of Toy Story three is a massive massive fan of The Shining. So in the first Toy Story, um, Sid's in Sid's house, the carpet is the same as the carpet in The Shining. Yep. The other references that you've got is in Toy Story 3, where the license plate of the garbage truck is RM237 for room 237. Uh, Woody IM's another toy who's online called... Was Toy Story... Was the, the garbage truck, was that the one that Sid worked on? Yeah. Yes. Which links together as well, because obviously yep. he had that. And I just had to throw that in there. There's another um, toy that Woody's IMing called Velocistar237. Uh, the model number of the security camera in Sunnyside Daycare is the Overlook R237. <laughs> uh, the intercom in the security system in the daycare is the exact model of the one that Wendy Torrance uses in the film The Shining. Oh my god. And next to it's a tissue box with the carpet pattern on it. <laughs> and outside of Toy Story and other Pixar, we've got in Finding Nemo, you get the Here's Brucey yep. um, whole thing. In Coco, this one is so, so obscure. I've and not seen the, Coco. If the director didn't... Oh, have you not seen Coco? Coco's the Ooh. only Pixar film I haven't seen. We're picking that up. That's going to be an episode, because that's one of my favourite When we do a Pixar episode, sort Oh, definitely. So, in Coco, there's a there's a dog called Dante the Dog. Okay? And he's I a street dog. Right? And the first scene that it comes in, the dog's asleep on the ground, and then he suddenly wakes up, and he, run, and he goes off, basically, to go meet Coco. And in the background of this scene... There is an axe stuck in a tree stump. Okay. And next to it is a red metal storage drum. Okay. And the director confirmed completely that he put it there on purpose, right next to each other, because the axe is an exact model of the axe that is used <laughs> in The Shining. And the red metal storage drum is a red drum. Oh, which, rum. funnily enough... Red rum. Um... Stephen King didn't realise Red Rum was murder backwards until after he wrote it. Uh, the whole Red Rum. Yeah. Stephen King didn't realise that until after he'd written it. That that's what it was backwards. He wrote. Come on. He, no, he, no. He said he wrote murder. Right. He saw Red Rum. Was like, oh, I'll put that in the book. 
Oh, right, so, so he, he wrote murder. And he wrote murder, sorry, backwards, yeah, and then realised how many links it had because of uh, the horse in the 70s and all that. Yeah, there's also the fact that there's red, and red, red rum, the reason why it's so, such an iconic thing to me for, for the story, is not only that it's murder backwards, it's that you've got the colour red of blood, <laughs> and then you've got rum because Jack Torrance is an alcoholic. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why that's why for me red rum was the way that it was, and then you can see that he's more and more drinking, more and more, and he's drinking scotch the entire time, and he's drinking bourbon the entire time. He's mad taste, or, or, or bourbon, as somebody that we know says it all the time, and tries to insist that we are wrong. <laughs> we have friends that are just mistaken with their choices, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, you you kind of see it all going through, and that's why red rum for me is one of the big one of the big things on it. Yeah. Um, which we didn't even talk about when we were talking about the shot. We God, didn't. Uh, the reason why Red Rum's the whole thing is because Danny Torrance um, is being possessed at that point. It's still a family drama, of course. Still being, yep. is being possessed by the ghost that hangs out with him. And he's just writing... He picks up a knife to begin with and then just starts writing Red Rum in lipstick on the wall. Yep. And then wakes up the mother with a knife in his hand going, Red Rum! And if you can imagine Shelley Duvall, he's just tortured at this point. I feel like she probably wasn't even told. She was like, she had a nap. She was told that it's probably, oh yeah, he's saying Red Rum, he's saying Red Rum, you're going to wake up. And then all of a sudden wake up and there's just a child there with a knife screaming Red Rum in your face. I just oh. want to call him Chucky at this point and just let me be done with it. Well, Chucky wears the same clothes. Yeah. Chucky wears exactly the same clothes and has the same hairstyle. Yes, uh, just ginger. Yep, yep. Which is red. On that one. Because of red rum. Eh, probably not. I'm just saying. Well, I think we're stretching. Between that and me with Quentin Tarantino, we're probably stretching. So uh, there's one last theory with Pixar, which you're going to sigh at. Oh, no. So, remember how there's a big sect of people that believe that... Um, the Shining is Kubrick's confession for faking the moon landing. Yeah. One of the main theories, and the director never really explicitly said that this was the case, but people believe that this is the case. Of course they do. Is that the reason why Buzz Lightyear is called Buzz Lightyear is because of Buzz Aldrin. Right. At the Apollo, Apollo 11 launch, the first man on the moon, and they believe that he's called that to basically put a link, another link in to The Shining and the theories behind it. Or just Neil Lightyear just doesn't sound as good. Well, <laughs> literally called the many thing. Yeah. Scatman Crothers. Spaceman Crothers. Could have been called Spaceman Crothers. In an alternative universe, I bet you there is a Toy Story where Buzz Lightyear is called Spaceman Crothers. Also, I did say something that I was going to say... I, I did say I was going to say more about Scatman Crothers and who, who he actually is. Yeah. He is the voice of Hong Kong Fu. Is he? Number one super guy. Oh my god. <laughs> Scatman Crothers is probably, for everybody, one of the main and major influences in their childhood. And they wouldn't have known it watching this show. Jesus. And they made him cry. And they made him cry. On that happy note. <laughs> so, that is everything about The Shining that we know so far. It's probably other little factoids that we've missed out. And of course, if you know anything about The Shining that we didn't cover in here, you can comment down below. And we'll be sure to acknowledge your comment uh, by not mentioning it in our next video, but then just talking <laughs> about it outside of that and just be like, look, people are commenting. We will notice, acknowledge, and love you. We will notice and acknowledge you. 
I'm not oh. sure about love. I don't know you just yet. Not but I love one, so, you know, yeah. I have to. Um, but on the way down to commenting, make sure as you're scrolling, you hit that like button, you click subscribe, and you hit that bell. Hit that bell notification button to know whenever we upload. The moment we're looking at trying to make sure that this is weekly or bi-weekly at the latest, uh, the next one is more than likely going to be a film. Did you just laugh because I said the word bye? Oh my god, we're ending it there. Thank you very much for watching. Like, comment and subscribe. Love y'all. Thank you guys. Bye.